Amen. Well, I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, and we'll read from verse 15. We'll read just a few verses of the chapter tonight. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, and beginning our reading at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Let, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither in the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days shall be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And we'll end our reading there, knowing that the Lord will bless his reading, uh, the reading to our hearts for his name's sake. And we're thinking about uh, the arrival of false prophets uh, who come and it says that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, last time we thought about the Jehovah Witnesses, we thought about the founder or the creation of the cult, and we thought about uh, Charles T.S. Russell. You, we told you about how he, he um, uh, founded the cult in about 1881, the Bible Students Association. He's a man that suffered from ill health, uh, during his uh, life, uh, somebody spoke about the fact that he uh, had um, uh, great difficulties. He, he was in pain most of his life, and perhaps sometimes that is something of the explanation of what he was. But like the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, they came out of the Millerite movement, uh, the, the, the movement at that time looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we'll see about the Jehovah Witnesses is that they also made false prophecies about this coming of the Lord. Many people will say um, that um, uh, the man that really uh, founded the cult is this man, uh, Judge Rutherford. There was a split after the death of uh, Charles Russell, and they, Judge Rutherford took over, and many people didn't like his authoritarian style of leadership, but he is the one that named them the Jehovah Witnesses and gave them their aggressive witnessing style. So that all comes from that part of the movement that comes from Judge Rutherford. But we said that there are those that would tell you that there is scarcely one great truth or fundamental doctrine of Christianity that the Jehovah Witnesses do not uh, change or leave untouched. And we thought last time about 
the primacy of Scripture. They have the volume Studies in the Scriptures that Charles Russell wrote, and that is counted as on the par with Scripture. Uh, we said how that uh, Charles Russell himself said that uh, if you were to leave aside the Bible and only uh, uh, read studies in the Scriptures, it would, uh, it would be better for you in the long run because uh, he said just if you just read the Bible and not studies in the Scriptures, you'll really go into darkness very so shortly. But if you read studies in the Scriptures and not the Bible, then you don't go into darkness as readily. That's what he thought about his writings uh, in comparison to the inspired Word of God. And then last time we thought about the deity of Christ, which is fundamental. They deny the deity of Christ. They say that Christ is uh, the angel, archangel Michael, and that when he went back to heaven, he went back as the archangel Michael. So they deny the deity of Christ, and they do so because they deny the Trinity. The Watchtower says that Jesus is a created being, and the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. And this is what Let God Be True says. The obvious conclusion is, therefore, that Satan is the originator of the Trinity doctrine. But we think of the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It does tell us that there is one God. But the Bible speaks about three persons called God. The Father is obviously God, and that's seen throughout the Bible. Nobody denies that. But the Lord Jesus Christ is called God. Uh, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we have Titus 2 and 3, and the Holy Spirit is God. We showed you this when we were looking at the Holy Spirit uh, a number of months ago. But if you turn in your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4, it speaks there. Uh, it says, but Peter and Ananias, uh, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So there in two verses, it says that he lied to the Holy Ghost and he lied to God. And obviously the conclusion is that the Holy Ghost is God. And you can see that. So while there is one God, there are three persons. And we can see that the Bible very clearly speaks about the three persons of the Trinity. And then, of course, aligned to that, the Jehovah Witnesses will deny the personality and the deity of the Holy Spirit. They, uh, they speak about the Holy Spirit as a force or like something like an electrical energy um, that's under the sovereign co uh, control of Jehovah, but he isn't a person. But you can see there, if you can see the uh, little uh, illustration there, uh, his works... Uh, a person, a force. Well, 
A force will do things, but it speaks in the Bible about the works of the Holy Ghost. It speaks about the feelings of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is grieved. The Holy Ghost um, is one who is full of joy. And the Holy Ghost speaks. Only a person, you don't get a force to speak. The Holy Ghost convinces men of sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, a sort of an electrical force doesn't do that. So you can see the personality of the Holy Spirit in so many ways. And we read there in Acts chapter 5 about how the uh, God and the Holy Spirit are counted to be the one thing. So again, there's a denial of the fundamental doctrine of the deity of Christ, the deity of the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit. All these are fundamental doctrines of Christianity, and to deny them is to deny the very fundamentals of the faith. And this is why this is completely outside of Orthodox Christianity. What do they believe about salvation? Well, studies in the Scripture, which uh, we said is really their sort of Bible, along with the Bible, they would say, but it says in uh, volume 1, page 150, Christ gave himself a ransom that he might give to every man an individual trial for life. The ransom does not guarantee everlasting life to any man, but guarantees a second chance. Now, the second chance is given to those who are faithful. So really, the uh, ransom doesn't guarantee everlasting life. But what do the Jews? They have to work for it. It's a, it's a religion of works. It's like all false religions in the world. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. All of the false religions of the world have this uh, religion of works. And they go out and they go around and they witness and they take part in their uh, studies in the kingdom halls and they do that. Uh, their uh, salvation is based upon what they do. And at the end of the day, they will stand before God and there will be those that will be uh, given everlasting life and those that will be um, annihilated really just uh, that's the end they don't believe in hell as we'll see in a wee minute but Jehovah Witness then it's a doctrine it's salvation by good works and you'll see them they're going out giving out their uh, literature and out on the uh, streets and so on uh, and they are seeking, uh, among other things, to earn their salvation. Something else that uh, they get wrong is the second coming. And they deny the visible return of Christ. Now, like the, um, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, they say that he's already returned. 
Uh, you know about their Seventh-day Adventists. They had to, do, they had to uh, describe or why, they had to make an excuse for why they got the date wrong. And they said, well, the Lord just went into another part of heaven and uh, that he was to come then, but he uh, still hasn't come. Uh, but we find that the Russellites or the Jehovah Witnesses have made many false prophecies. They said that the Lord, with the Millerites, that he would return in 1878, in 1881, in 1914, which is the big one. Uh, there was many that left the movement after 1914. Uh, that's uh, Judge Rutherford's millions now living will never die. And uh, that was the message at that time. I have, as I say at home, the volumes of uh, the Watchtower in which those predictions are made. And then it's very interesting just to see in the copies just after they were expecting uh, the great letdown that there was. But they also predicted 1918, 1925, and 1975, none of which are true. This is a false prophet. There is a pro false prophecy. And they believed really, uh, the, the, the big one there is 1914, as we say, but uh, we think about what the Bible says about the second coming. He will come physically. It says in Acts 1, The same Jesus that was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He came, he went visibly, he'll come visibly. He went from the Mount of Olives, he will come to the Mount of Olives. And he comes physically, visibly, and he comes accompanied by the uh, cosmic disturbances that we read there in verses 29 and 30 of the portion of Scripture that we read immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall be not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And we read about, now that's visible, that's manifest, but they don't believe in the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've got many prophecies wrong about when the Lord Jesus will come. And that indicates the falseness of the cult. What do they believe about the soul? Well, they don't believe that we have a soul. They don't believe uh, the soul to them is just the life force of the person. And you'll see the, uh, the uh, Jehovah Witness website says the word soul in the Bible is a translation of the Hebrew word nephesh and the Greek word suke, really. The Hebrew word literally uh, means a creature that breathes and the Greek word means a living being. The soul then is the entire creature, not something inside that survives the death of the body. So they say that we're all soul, that uh, you're just the whole being is soul. And they claim that no part of a person survives, uh, continues to exist uh, consciously after death. They insist that human beings cease to be at the moment of physical death. 
and they deny that there's a soul. So like again, uh, something like the uh, Seventh-day Adventists who believe in soul sleep, so the Jehovah Witnesses believe in soul sleep. And we uh, realize there is something of a different or uh, something of a similarity. Now, biblically, the word soul uh, sometimes can refer to the whole person uh, rather than an inner component of the person. But we read of many passages where it's perfectly plain that the soul is something other than it's something other than the body. Uh, we read there, if you can read that verse there in uh, the book of Revelation, it says that he opened the fifth seal. Uh, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now these are souls in heaven. Uh, this is before the Lord comes again. So these are uh, souls, and it describes the souls at that time. We think of the many passages that speak of unbelievers in unconscious woe. We think of the many passages where the Lord speaks about those that have gone out uh, in death, uh, being uh, in a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And we think of how believers are in the conscious bliss of heaven. Uh, we think of how Paul uh, spoke of how he was in a strait, whether to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, the depart there is death. And he speaks about death and how when he departs, he will be with Christ. Now, his body wasn't going to be with Christ. His body would be put in the tomb or uh, wherever it was put. But his soul was going to be with Christ, which is far better. So, uh, again, the Jehovah Witnesses are wrong on the soul. And, of course, aligned to that is eternal punishment in hell. They don't believe in hell. They believe that the grave is hell. And, uh, there, again, there are some times in the Bible where uh, it, it, the word shoal or the word uh, that is used there is an indication of the grave. But also we read about that place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and that's not the grave. They believe in heaven, but like many people, many modern people today, and even many modern people who claim to be evangelicals, they don't believe in hell. And that's something that rings in the ear, and joy makes uh, the unbeliever joyful, that uh, there, will, they will, there will be no place of punishment. But you know, if that is so, there's two questions at least that we can ask. If there is no such thing as hell, why did the Lord Jesus warn us of the perils of hell more than anyone else? And if it is so that there's no hell, was Jesus lying when he spoke about hell? You see, 
You can, there's some of the text there and many more than that where the Lord Jesus speaks about hell. But dear friend, the Bible reveals God as a God of perfect justice as well as a God of perfect love. And the two things must balance one another. And because of justice, there must be a place of punishment. So we think of the creed of the cult and we think of these different things and a quick run over in many ways over these things. But we think of the way that uh, as I said at the start, there's hardly any fundamental doctrine that remains untouched by the Jehovah Witnesses. And really, it comes out of egotism. This, this man, Charles Russell, and those that followed him thought that they knew better than uh, Orthodox Christianity and that they could correct these things. And really, it comes out of that kind of egotism. That's the creed of the cult. What about the characteristics of the cult? What do you think about when you think about Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, they come knocking on your door. They come seeking to win others to their teaching. And of course, that is a challenge to us. It's something that we, we, we see their zeal. We admire their zeal in many ways. But it is not a zeal for God. It's a, a zeal really for the watchtower uh, organization. And the thing is about their witnessing zeal, we think about their methods. There's a businessman a number of years ago who went to a Jehovah Witness conference in the Yankee Stadium in New York. And this is what he said. While the Jehovah Witnesses were in New York, I made it a point to question a few on their doctrine. And it's a wonder to me how these poor, unfortunate seeming sincere people can be so gullible and misguided. They, rep they repeat their teachings in parrot-like fashion as if they had been drilled into them and they have expressionless countenances. Now, the man hit on something when he said that the Jehovah Witnesses uh, had, it seemed as if their teachings had been drilled into them because that, in fact, is the case. That's what happens. William Snell, who was an ex-Jehovah Witness, describes in one of his books the seven-point, uh, what he, he called it, a seven-step program to brainwashing. And they, there's the seven steps that he gives there, begin by getting literature into the hands of the prospect to continue through a process called backcalling, keeping going back, uh, three instigate book study, four attends at a kingdom hall, five attends at a service meeting, six become active in publishing, passing out tracts, and seven become baptized. And he, he called that a seven-step program to brainwashing. Now, in that, you, many, you know, if we went out, we'd want to get people to come to the meetings and uh, study the Bible. Uh, it seems innocuous, but... Uh, you have to understand the intensive program that goes on in the Kingdom Hall, and they are really drilled in uh, the doctrines, and really it changes their personality. We'll come to that in a wee minute. 
but they become all, he speaks, the, the businessman spoke about their expressionless countenances, and really they, they are taught to think differently. So we, we'll come to that when we think about speaking to Jehovah's Witnesses, but they do think differently because they've gone through this program. Now, what do we do if you want to speak to Jehovah's Witness? Well, they will, they will come with their program, and they love to skip from text to text. And you see, that's the way they're taught. They, they uh, have one, they, they take text out of context, and they uh, are able to put all of these different texts taken out of context together uh, in order to prove their doctrines. Uh, and of course, they have their own Bible too, the New World Translation, which um, translates away anything, or, well, a lot of the things that might be, um, uh, might contradict their doctrine. There are many things still in their translation that contradicts their doctrine, but nevertheless, they, they, they skip from verse to verse. And if you allow them to take you on their little pathway, you would very easily be taken in by what they have to say. You, they take you on this imaginary trip through the Bible. So what you have to do, what you need to do if you're talking to Jehovah's Witnesses is to stop and take a look at the context. See if what they are drawing from the verse actually fits into the context. Because if you take scriptures out of context, it's very easy to prove anything. And what we have to do is examine the scriptures as they were written and according to what is taught in the context. Now, an old time, I will preach a text out of context. I usually will tell you if I'm taking it out of context. And you may do that an old time, but we have, if, if you're going to look at the Bible, you've got to take it in the way it was written in the, at the time it was written. And what, we, what you need to do is disrupt their little uh, ramos, their little imaginary journey. Don't let them get on their program path. Get them uh, to study other scriptures and uh, direct them to other scriptures. And what you need to do is learn, first of all, to rightly divide the word of truth by becoming familiar with the, uh, the Bible. And the other thing there, number five, never accept literature to the, from them because they regard that as important. That's the first step, the first step on their program. And they regard literature as so important. You know, you may take a track from somebody and uh, we give out tracks and we want people to read the tracks, but their literature is more important. They, they think that if, 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 if you, they've got literature into your hand, you're, you're already on the path. You're, you're already uh, somewhat along the path to accept. So don't, don't accept literature from them in any way. Don't bring them into your home. Second John 1 verse 9 and 10, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive them not into your house, neither bid them Godspeed. Um, you can be friendly with them, uh, but don't bring them into your home. Newly converted 
witnesses are expected to adopt a new personality, really. Um, they, as we say, they interact with society in a different way. They think differently. Now, if you, if you attack them, if you attack their religion, they, they are taught to expect, they're trained to expect uh, persecution. They think in terms of the kingdom and Armageddon. And while we have those terms that we see when we're speaking, they think about them in different ways. So you need to be, bear in mind that they think differently and that they have this persecution complex and they, they, they will not listen, they, they will not hear you if you just attack them. Uh, they, they will uh, take that as kind of like person, persecution. Um, we think about their, really they have an altered consciousness. They do nothing outside of themselves except evangelize. They, their children are even discouraged in higher learning. And we need to remember that they're mentally and spiritually blind and dead because of sin. They are lost because Satan has blinded them. But we also remember that there are often people who have become disillusioned with the, uh, the organized religions because they've got no answers. And they come, the Jehovah Witnesses come and speak to them and they seem to have ready answers to the situation. And you need to, uh, you, you, uh, uh, they are, it's very, very often they're sincere people. But they are, they are taken and they, are, they sort of have this altered consciousness and they don't think. But what you've got to do, what do you do if you uh, are speaking to a Jehovah Witness? Well, really what you need to do is to get them to question the watchtower. Now, you can't do that by attacking the watchtower. They will count that as uh, persecution. But they have such, really, they are serving the watchtower. They are slaves of the watchtower. And they, to them, that's infallible. And you can't, they're not going to question that. But what we've got to do is to get them to understand and maybe do it gently. We, you have to sort of get them to understand that it's not our religion. We're not promoting a different religion. We're promoting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they deny the deity of Christ. So that's where you've got to start. You've got to start by speaking to them about Christ, about the one who came, about the one who did mighty miracles, the one who uh, said, I and the Father are one. You, you have to speak to them about Christ because until a person knows that the Lord Jesus Christ is God and that they have sinned against God, uh, they're not going to think in those terms. So uh, we, we can take them to scriptures. You, you think of those scriptures that indicate the fact that the Lord Jesus 
um, claim to be God. Islam sometimes will say that if you are taught, if you were ever talking to an Islamic apologist, they they will try to say that the Lord Jesus never directly claimed to be God. But you you just read in the scriptures where the Lord said, "I and the Father are one." The Jews took up stones to stone him. The Jews understood what he was saying. The Jews understood perfectly what he was saying. Uh, uh, that, that he was claiming to be God. And you need to understand it in the context of the uh, culture of that day. But the Lord Jesus Christ is God, and we've got to um, get them to understand that. But there, there's a couple of questions there that maybe you could uh, take. Can someone be saved without being a Jehovah Witness? And that's a question, because... The Watchtower organization only came into being in the 1880s. So how was somebody saved before the organization was formed? That gets them to think. Um, there's another question. If I was examining Mormonism or any other belief, would it not be a good idea to read testimonies of ex-members? And now that puts them into a quandary. If they say no... Uh, it's then easy to show that it's very easy to be deceived by a cult because you've never uh, seen anybody that uh, is different. Or if they say yes, then you can ask them why you haven't fully examined the beliefs of uh, those that are ex-Jehovah Witness. Uh, that's uh, one way of getting uh, some questions. Uh, but we take them gently. You, ha you have to... Uh, maybe really do it in a kind of um, third-party way. Don't let them feel as if you're persecuting them. Bring yourself maybe into it. If I was, um, if I if I was believing this, what would be the result? Or uh, if I was believing this, what does the scripture say? Uh, and don't let them feel as if you're getting at them, because that's really where. Uh, the brainwashing really has uh, kicked in there. So we, we need to get them to see that Christ is first, that Christ is the, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You get, you get scriptures, and I should have brought with me, but uh, where even in their own Bible, uh, the prophecy that is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, one that indicates that he is God. And you can use many of those things. The Reverend Ian Brown has a little book. There's probably one of them, some of them about here still, uh, 50 questions that every Jehovah Witness should be asked. There's other books like that. And it is good just to uh, know where you stand. But thank God for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what we think of Christ is fundamental. Uh, whose son is he? And we need to remember tonight that Christ is all in all. Paul said, we preach Christ and him crucified. Wasn't the organization, wasn't the church, wasn't uh, the, or the, uh, the, the uh, watchtower uh, leadership, Christ.
and him crucified. And it is what we think of Christ that really makes the difference. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Well, let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace in prayer. Let's still our hearts as we come tonight. We do thank God for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us. And we can thank God for that tonight and rejoice in the fact that we have a mighty Savior. Let's just unite together in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do come to thee tonight in our Savior's precious name. And, O oh God, we do thank thee for our Savior. We thank thee that our faith is not in uh, some organization in New York or some organization in uh, other places. But, Lord, we thank thee that it is in heaven. We thank thee that our Savior is in heaven. Our headquarters is in heaven. And our God, we thank thee that Christ is the head of the church. And we thank thee that we have one head who is our blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, our Father, we pray that thou wouldst bless us. We think of those that are caught up in the cults and religions of this day. Lord, they have been hoodwinked and they have been, uh, they have been uh, deceived. But, Lord, we pray that the light of the glorious gospel would shine in, not only, Lord, to people like the Jehovah Witnesses, but there are so many people, and it might be Presbyterian religion or Church of Ireland religion or Church of Rome religion or even Free Presbyterian religion. And, Lord, there are people who are caught up in their religion. But, O oh God, we pray that they might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, whom to know is life eternal. Bless thy word and be with us now in our time of prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.